Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly we pray that uh, we'll be faithful in looking at your word, that we will not let the world intrude in our thinking, but that we, will, we will reflect uh, all our likeness in you in everything that we do, including our dress and our behavior. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now the next 40 minutes is very important, uh, particularly for myself and uh, for us as a church, because, you know, several things could happen at the end of this service. At the end of this service, I could get kicked out of the church and then, you know, I'll have to never come back again. Or, all the women could leave and then never come back again. Or, I guess all of us could really learn from God's Word and really grow in understanding Him and understanding ourselves and pleasing Him. Now, today's passage is a very, very controversial passage. In fact, when you look at the commentaries and what the Bible scholars say, they say that this passage today is one of the most difficult and controversial passages in the Bible. So congratulations, because you are here to study it together. Some people say that today's passage is sexist and chauvinistic. And uh, some people say that it's unhelpful for the modern world or the modern Christian. And that's why if you go to the internet, you'll find very few pastors who actually preach on this passage. Uh, if you saw last Saturday in the Sunday Times, you know, talking about the mega churches. And uh, the commentator was saying, you know, a lot of churches, they just preach what people want to hear, right? They want to be like the goal 90 FM of uh, preaching, right? Just uh, telling people what they want to hear. But today, I think it's very different, isn't it? Because we are God's people and God's church and we are instructed not by the pastor, but by his word. And it's really a thank, thanks to God that we have expository preaching, right? Because expository preaching is going through the Bible chapter by chapter by chapter, and it forces us to look at passages which make us feel uncomfortable, which we struggle with. Which I think is a good thing, you know, when you struggle with the Bible, it's a good thing. As an old pastor of mine used to tell me in Australia, if you're always reading the Bible, and it doesn't confront you, and it doesn't challenge you, then you're not reading it properly. Or, you're not obeying it properly. So let's look at today's word, and see why it is that it's such a challenge to us. Well, I think that firstly, when we look at this passage, we recognize that it's all about a challenge to Christian identity. What it means to be Christian as a man, as a Christian woman. And today, as we look at this passage, the Apostle Paul is dealing with another problem in the Corinthian church. Now, over the last few weeks and last year, when we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1-7, to we saw that the book of Corinthians deals with a lot of problems. It dealt with the problem of divisions in the church. It dealt with the problems of sexual morality in the church. It dealt with the problems of what it meant to be married in the church. And last week we saw, what does it mean as Christians to eat food sacrificed to idols or even food in temples? And today, the problem that they had seemed to be dealing with what to wear, isn't it? What to wear. And the Corinthian Christians seem to have this problem with Christian identity. And part of the problem, if you remember, was that the Corinthian Christians thought they had special wisdom, special knowledge. They had spiritual arrogance where they felt that they could do what they wanted whenever they wanted to. So, last week, remember, we learned that they had this slogan. The Corinthian church had this slogan. Remember, what was the slogan? Just do it. No, it wasn't that, right? What was the slogan for the Corinthian church? It was, everything is permissible for me. Right? Everything is permissible for me. And that wasn't the first time that we, we, we remember this phrase, because up here on the slide, 
right? Chapter 6, same phrase was quoted by the Apostle Paul as, as saying, look, this is your problem. You think that as a Christian, everything is permissible for me. And that's why they had sexual immorality, right? They had sexual immorality, they were sleeping in prostitutes because they thought everything is permissible for me as a Christian. And that's why they were eating food in temples because everything is permissible for me as a Christian. And that is why they have the same problem in today's issue, which is wearing what you want or don't want at church. Primarily, it was about women taking off their head coverings. Now, what is the particular issue in the book of Corinth? So turn to me to verse 4 of chapter 11. Now, this is where you have to do the hard work with me, right? It's not about me telling you. It's about you working with me. So look at verse 4 in chapter 11. Now, what does it say then in verse 4 of chapter 11? This is the problem. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. Now, when you look at this uh, verse, verse 4 and 5, some people translate here head coverings as long hair and short hair. Okay? As we go through, I'm going to be showing you some of the different ways people read the passages and showing you why I don't think it's right. So some people look at verse 4 and 5 and say, the problem here is not head covering, but long hair and short hair. There are women wearing short hair and men wearing long hair, right? But I don't think so. If you look at this passage, the word cover and uncover in the Bible always refers to some sort of physical covering. It's some sort of, not just hair, but some sort of veil or some sort of cloth. So if you look at the, this passage, the next slide, Okay, if you look here in the translation uh, of the, in the Greek for the Old Testament, it says, Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Right? So the idea of covering was something physical. In Genesis 38, when Judah saw her, she thought, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face. So in the Bible language, the word cover here doesn't mean generally long hair or short hair. It means something physical covering your head. In the contemporary language of the day, the covering usually referred to a cloth veil or, or, or a shawl. Okay, so the problem here is there were people in the church, primarily women, who were taking off their head coverings, taking off their veils or their shawls. We don't know exactly what it was, but some sort of head covering, they were taking it off. And this was a big deal. Now we might ask ourselves, why is it a big deal that women were not wearing head coverings? Because in today's world, nobody, I mean, you don't usually see women wearing head coverings, do you? I mean, at least uh, not Christian women, right? Other women of different faith might have head coverings, but not Christian women, right? So it's not a big deal because we live in a different culture. You know, we live in, live in a different age. We live in the MTV age, the internet age, the YouTube age. People wear whatever they like, isn't it? But I think that what Paul is saying here is that what we wear sends a message to people. Don't you think so? Even in today's world, in our world where we have all sorts of things you can wear, right? What you wear sends a message to people. So I wear this ring. Can you see this ring? Right? This ring on my finger. When I wear it on my finger, on my left hand, I don't know what this finger is called now, right? Uh, not a trigger. Is it index? But when you wear, huh? 
The ring finger. That's right. When you wear your ring on the ring finger, it sends a message. And what is that message? That you are married. You know, if, if I were to have a tattoo on my forearm of a, of, of a cross, or a tattoo on my forearm of a skull, again, it sends a message, right? It sends a message. If, if, I, if I wore a tag Hoyer, as opposed to a Rolex, as opposed to a G-Shock, it sends a message, isn't it? So, what's happening here is that what we wear, the appearance, sends a message. And what in Paul's day and age, the head covering of the woman was very important because it sent a message. And Paul was saying that for the woman in the congregation of the church, the assembly of God, to take off the head coverings sends a wrong message. It sends a very wrong message as a Christian woman. And for Christian men to then uh, do something else as well will also send a wrong message. Now why does it send a wrong message for a woman in those days not to wear a head covering? Well, in verse 3, he looks at the the role and relationship between man and woman. Right, it's very important, the role and relationship between man and woman. And it says here, verse 3, that there is a role and relationship between man and woman as, as, as Christians. So turn to me in Bibles to verse 3. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is is God. Now, again, let's look at this passage. Now, I know some of you are using your ESV Bible, right, English Standard Version. And in your English Standard Version, your translation would say, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every wife is man. Right? And the head of every... Uh, it's right, yep, that's right. The head of every wife is man. But I disagree with that. I don't think it's just talking about wives. I think it's talking about women. You see, in the Greek, the same word can mean wife or can mean woman. Okay? But I don't think it can be so narrow as to mean wife. And I'll give you three reasons why. The first thing is, when you look at this passage, you notice marriage is never mentioned. There is no mention of marriage in this passage at all. The second reason is, if Paul or the Bible here was only talking about wives, what about all the unmarried women? What about all the widows? Right, that means a large proportion of women in the congregation would not be, would not be mentioned by Paul. So you'd have a, a congregation here and some of them would be wearing head coverings, but what about the unmarried women? The third point is, in chapter 7, where, where Paul talks about wives, he also talks about instructions at the same time to the unmarried widows and the unmarried women. So he covers wives, widows, unmarried young women. So here, you think that if he's only talking about wives, he will also give you instructions as to what, what the other people should be doing, the other unmarried women, but he doesn't. So what I think is happening here is actually Paul is making a general statement about man-woman relationships under God. And what he says is very, very controversial in our day and age. Because look at me with me again to verse 3. He says, the head of every man is Christ. I think we can say amen to that, right? Then he says, the head of Christ is God. Yes, okay, I think we can agree with that. But the controversial one, it says that the head of the woman is man. And that's when we all start feeling a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? 
Because yes, we understand God the Father is head over Jesus Christ. And we recognize that Jesus Christ is head over man. But can we say that man is head over woman? That's a very difficult thing in the, in the day and age that we live in because when we think of that picture, you close your eyes, what do you see? You see some male chauvinist pig on top and a downtrodden woman underneath, isn't it? And therefore, as a male preaching on this passage, I have to be very careful and sensitive right, to actually show that that's what this passage is saying. It's not something that I'm bringing into, the, into this passage. Now, I think our problem with this passage is not so much the order of headship. I think the problem that we have is we have a worldly view of headship. See, the problem is not headship per se, but how we perceive headship. So the first thing that I think is very clear in the Bible is that headship is not equal to value. I'll say that again. Headship is not equal to value. So in the world we live in, we always think that the higher you are, the more power and more, the more headship that you have, the more valuable you are. So we think, oh, you know, the person in charge is more valuable than the person not in charge. We think the CEO is more important than the employee. Don't we? We think, I mean, that's the way the world thinks. But the Bible doesn't think like that. God doesn't think like that. Headship has nothing to do with value. And we can see that from the headship in the Trinity, isn't it? Because we said, yes, we agree that God the Father is head over Jesus Christ the Son. We know in other parts of the Bible, the God the Father sends the Son. And the Son submits to the Father and everything. We see, so we saw that in the Gospels, remember? But, we don't say that Jesus is any less of a God than His Father. In the same way, Jesus the Son sends the Holy Spirit, the, the Counselor in the book of John. Right? And the Holy Spirit obeys the Son. But we do not say that the Holy Spirit is somehow lesser in value or less God than Jesus Christ the Son or God the Father. See, so you have a look at this slide. See, I'll try to, to represent it in the diagram here, isn't it? So this headship, God the Father, head over Christ the Son, who is head over the Holy Spirit. Oh, Spirit's got small s. Better make it big later. Okay. Um, but in value, the, 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 the Trinity, the three persons of the Trinity are all equal in value. In the same way, in humanity, man is head of a woman, but yet they are equal in value. Okay, so you look at this, this uh, passage, the next passage. See, in Genesis chapter 2, it's very uh, clear, if you look at, look at it, that actually man is head of a woman. It says that for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God took a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she, uh, for she was taken out of man. Now in the Old Testament, it's very clear that because she was man's helper. And secondly, 
Adam named her woman. So in both those ways, man has headship over woman. But yet she's equal because when you look later in Genesis, they are both made in the image of God. And they both equally rule over the animals. In the Bible, headship is not about value. Headship is about responsibility, accountability. And that is why, uh, if you, you know, that's why we need to understand the Bible to, to understand how it works together, right? The Bible explains the Bible. In Genesis, when, who sinned first in the garden? It was the woman, isn't it? The woman ate the fruit first and then she passed it to the man. But who does God ask first about the sin? He doesn't go to Eve and say, why did you sin? No, he says, Adam, why did you sin? Because Adam was the head and he was responsible for the woman. And that's why in Romans chapter 5, which you see up here, oh sorry, this is a diagram of the, what I was saying before about hitch and value. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam who was the pattern of the one to come. So Eve sinned first. She should have been the pattern of the one to come, isn't it? But the Bible sees that Adam was the head. Adam was responsible. He was accountable for the sin. Okay, so very clear. Headship is not about value. Right? Headship is about accountability. So you, they're equal in value, men and women, different in roles. Equal in being, different responsibility. Equal in essence, but different in functions. Okay, so that's the first thing I want to clear out. Headship is not about value. Men and women, we are all equal in Christ's eyes, in God's eyes. The second thing is, when we think of headship, male headship, what do we think of? We think of bad examples of male headship, right? You think of the exploitive boss, male boss, lah, okay? the bullying manager, uh, the abusive father, right? the, the, the harsh man. That's what we think of when you think of male headship. But these are worldly images of male headship. So I was reading this book uh, this week uh, called The Making of an Atheist. All right? The Making of an Atheist. Very good book. Highly recommend it that you read it one day. And in this, uh, there's one chapter which actually shows that many of the most famous atheists in the world had one thing in common. And you know what that one thing was? Many of them had missing fathers who died when they were very young or they had abusive fathers or disgraceful fathers who ran off with other women and betrayed the family. And because they had a wrong picture of what it meant to have a father they could not accept God the Father. Because in their mind, in their mind, the picture of a holy father was inconsistent with the experience of fatherhood which they had experienced in their own life. And that's the same thing here, you see. For you women, if you've ever experienced bad male headship, my plea to you is, don't bring it to this passage saying, okay, that's what God has in mind, right? Bad headship. Because the headship that is mentioned here in verse 3 is the Christian model of headship. And the Christian model of headship is Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to spend too long on this passage, Ephesians chapter 5. Next slide, because we still got the whole many, many verses left to go. Right? But if you see here, Jesus is the head of the church. I've, I've highlighted it for you. right? And how does Jesus 
served the church as his head. He loved the church. He gave himself up for her. He made her holy. He cleansed her by the washing of waters with the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. This is the model of headship that God has in mind when he talks about male headship. Not abusive headship, not oppressive headship, not exploitive headship, but headship which serves and sacrifices even to the point of death. So verse 3 is the principle of man and woman relationships, that Christ is the head of the church, right? But he's head over man, and man is head over woman. And what it means is that the way we act, the way we dress, must express that order in a Christian relationship ordained by God. Now, Paul then goes on, from verse 4 onwards, to say why it is then that it's so wrong for women in those days to take off their headscarves. And the answer is in verse 4, isn't it? We read verse 4 before, but he says that if a woman or a man, right, dresses inappropriately, he dishonors his or her head. You notice that in verse 4? Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is as though her head were shaved. Now, praying and prophesying, we're not going to look at it in detail today. Prophesying comes up in chapter 14. But basically, chapter 14, verse 3, you can look at it yourself, chapter 14, verse 3, says that prophesying is about speaking to people for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. So what is being said off here is that when we come together as a church, when women and men publicly pray or speak to encourage and strengthen or comfort one another, they must dress appropriately. And if you do not dress appropriately, particularly for the women, if they don't wear their headgear in those days, huh, it dishonors the head. Now what does it mean, the head? Right? What head are we talking about? Your head, huh? Right? I think in one sense it means that, right? Because in Acts chapter 18, head can just mean yourself, right? Okay, Acts chapter 18, right? It says, you know, your blood be on your head, which is a bit like how we use it in Singapore, right? Your head, right? It means if you dress in an inappropriate way, it disgraces yourself, you. But I think in another way as well, it means that if you don't dress appropriately, it disgraces and dishonors your head. For a man to not dress properly, it dishonors Christ, his head. For a woman not to dress properly, it disgraces the man. Now, as an Asian society, we understand that. Isn't it? We can understand that it works those both ways. Because, you know, if my son were to do something wrong, cheat, steal, it disgraces himself. But at the same time, it disgraces me, isn't it, as his father? And I think that's what, that's what the Bible is saying here. If you don't dress reflective of maleness and femaleness, it disgraces yourself and it disgraces your head, the man or Christ. Now, we don't understand and we cannot understand what the significance of the head covering was. Okay? We don't know what the cultural significance is. But the end of verse 5 is very clear, isn't it? It says, and it leads on to verse 6, if you don't wear your head covering just as a woman, it's, better, it's just as though your head was shaved. In verse 6, If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off, for it is a disgrace 
for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. Now, I think we can, uh, we can identify that. Because even in our very pluralistic, egalitarian, tolerant society, there seems to be something wrong if a woman had her hair completely shaved balls in it. Don't you think? I mean, unless they had chemotherapy and they had no choice, if a woman deliberately cut her hair right into a, um, you know, if they went to the barber and asked for a number one cut, right, they would say, hey, something's not quite right, isn't it? So I remember, uh, if you see up the slides, right, in World War II, after the World War II, when the French women who were supposed to have Nazi or German lovers or collaborated with the enemy, they would shave their hair. Okay, can you see those pictures? Because it's a mark of shame, isn't it? Disgrace. So that, that a woman would be shaved. But even today, okay, so the next slide. Okay, there's Britney Spears, okay. Uh, I, I think you all know who Britney Spears is, right? If you don't know who Britney Spears is, you should try to find a young person and they'll explain to you who Britney Spears is. Okay, she's some famous pop singer. Okay, now it's Miley Cyrus. Lah. Okay, yeah, I'm very in touch. Okay, now that's Britney Spears, right? And her hair is completely sh- uh, shaved. And when she shaved her head, even in Hollywood, they said there's something wrong, isn't it? She has a mental meltdown. She's lost her mind. Because no woman would shave her head. But you've got to ask yourself, What's wrong with Britney Spears looking like this? Because every year thousands of our young men from 70 to 18, they, they look like this, right? right? It, we, we don't say it's a disgrace. Is it? what, what's wrong? Isn't it because Britney Spears on the left looks like a girl, but Britney Spears on the right no longer looks like a girl, isn't it? Britney Spears on the right looks like a guy. And that's what the head covering means. The head covering in those days was a was a was a was a, a sign or a symbol of your your femaleness, your femininity, and that's why coming to verse fourteen, read verse fourteen. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. See, he's saying look, a woman must look womanly, including the the, the, the what they wear. But a man must look like a man because obviously in those days, for a man to have long hair, it doesn't look male. But even today, isn't it? If, you, if, if a man wore very long hair with makeup and lipstick, we would say there is a, there's something wrong with that person. Something wrong with person. So, next slide. Okay, so this is Boy George. So, you know, okay, he's a pop star, so we think, okay, that's alright. But imagine if your classmate looked like this. Right? Or maybe your, your colleague at work turned out work like this. Then we'll say there's something wrong with a person, isn't it? Okay? I mean, same with me. So I bought this for my wife. Okay, got a nice butterfly. Okay? And I wore it right up in the pulpit. Okay? <laughs> right, like this, right? I mean, you'd say that, oh, you know, uh, Andrew, uh, I think you, something not quite right. You maybe an uh, emergency session of the consistory meeting, right? Okay? Because it, it, it doesn't represent. Uh, who I am as a, as, a, as a male, isn't it? So, he says, because of the order of creation, it is a disgrace and an honor, dishonor, not to keep your feminine or male appearance. But he goes on to say that there's more than that. In verse 7 to 10, isn't it? Verse 7 to 10. It's not just about disgrace and dishonor. There's a positive side in verse 7 to 10. A man not, ought not to cover his head because since he is the image and glory of God, 
but the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. So what he's saying is the negative thing is if you do not dress like a man or woman, and your appearance is of the opposite sex, you are bringing disgrace and dishonor to yourself and to Christ, or, and also to the man. But if you dress appropriately, you give glory or give recognition to creation which bears you, isn't it? So for the man, he is brought forth from the image of God, image of Christ. So he says, if you dress as a man, you give glory. It says there in verse 7, you give glory right to God. But the woman, if she dresses a woman, she bears testimony to the creation account where she comes from man and for man. Now, it also goes on to say something, which again is very controversial. We, we can agree with the glory part, I think. But the difficult part is in verse 10, isn't it? For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Now, we don't like that, isn't it? Why should the woman who dresses as a woman have a sign of authority? I think because it shows that she does not usurp the man's position as head over her. See, when a woman dresses as a man, she is usurping his place, isn't it? That's what it's saying. But Paul is saying here, no, she should dress as a woman to keep her respect of the man. Now again, it comes back to the whole idea, I think, in the, the idea of Genesis. See, in the fall, I know it's quite a long time since we studied the book of Genesis, but remember in the fall, right? Uh, up here on the slide. In the fall, when woman was cursed, God said to the woman, To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains and childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now the word desire here does not mean sexual desire. Physical desire doesn't mean that. Desire here is actually a desire for mastery, a desire for control, a desire for ill, not good. The reason I say that is because in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, the word desire is used, but it's used for sin desiring to control man. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, you must master. It's the same word. The word desire here is not a desire for good, but desire for evil. And what is being said here is that when women no longer want to appear as women, they are seeking to be like men. They desire to be like men in a, in a bad way, to have control, to have mastery and not recognize his headship. So I think if you actually break up the argument this way, this passage is very clear. Verse 3 tells us from creation that God has ordained that there should be an order in the relationships. That God is the head over Christ, Christ is the head over man, and man the head over woman. And not in a bad way, but in a good way. And therefore, this relationship must be reflected in the way that we dress and we behave. By dressing properly, we give glory to our head. By dressing inappropriately, we bring disgrace on ourselves and our head. And for the woman, 
it also is a sign of authority, a sign of respect for the man. Now, how do we apply this in the world that we live in today, right? How does the rubber hit the road? Does that mean that next Sunday, you know, I should get some uh, uh, subsidy from the consistory and I go out and buy uh, 50 shawls, okay? And then when the women come to the door, they can pick up their shawl and wear it uh, during the service. And then when they finish, oh, well, you know, can leave it at the door and pick it up tomorrow, or oh, next week, right? Is that what the Bible is telling us to do? I don't think so, isn't it? The Bible is not saying that because I think in, the, in our day and age, whether we wear head covering or not, uh, doesn't really matter. It's not a distinctive female thing. It's, just not, it's not something that women are distinguished by nowadays. So I think the principle here is that men and women must keep their distinctive appearance. Women must look like women. Men must look like men. Now, I think that nowadays, uh, for women, I mean, obviously, like, you can't look like Britney Spears, then shave your, your head completely and be really butch and wear army pants or something, right? I mean, in the day and age we live in today, many women wear very fashionable short hair, and that's very acceptable. It, it doesn't mark them out as being men, because many women wear very fashionable short hair. But we know culturally what looks male and what looks female. So I remember I, 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 uh, I go with my wife to Far East Plaza every once in a while when there was a bookshop there called Sunny Bookshop because we like going there. Okay? But it's not there anymore so we don't have an excuse to go there. But Far East Plaza is a very young hangout, right? So you know, old people don't usually go there. Okay? Anyway, I remember eating there. I can't remember. I think it was a hamburger shop there. And these two very young men came in. I think they must have been only like polytechnic age. And they were wearing eyeliner and foundation and earring and eye extension and all this sort of stuff, right? And my wife was sitting across from me and she says, Hey, I want to change seat. Uh. I said, Well, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I can't look at those guys anymore, right? So I had to change seat. And even me looking at them, I, I, I you know, spoiled my appetite because they look so feminine. They look so, so weird. As guys wearing, you know, foundation, makeup, Eyeliner, for all you know, they maybe even wear eye extension, right? I don't know what they were doing, right? But they weren't looking like guys at all. So, as Christian men and women, we must keep our appearance as Christian men and women. But I think the deeper issue, and I think this is a more difficult issue, is the role of men and women in church. Because it's quite clear from verse 3 that within God's family, that although we are all equal in Christ, there are different roles to be played. And men are to be supposed to take the headship role and women are supposed to respect that headship. And I think that biblically, it is right that the pastors and the elders are men. I think that's right because of what God has ordained. And I think it's right for men to lead the Bible study. But we must always make sure that the male headship is the Christian headship, is the servant headship. And women, they must respect that headship, not because, oh, you know, the man is so smart, he's so bright, he's so strong, but because that's what it means to live under God's rule. See, the Corinthian problem was they kept saying, everything is permissible, everything is permissible, we can do everything. But what Paul is saying is, no, you cannot do everything. You cannot do whatever you want. There is an order that God has made things. But there are a few mistakes that we need to avoid, right? The first mistake is that Women should not say, oh, okay, well, you know, men are doing the headship, so we do nothing, like we just sit back and relax, right? Let all the guys do everything. 
Because if you look at this passage, it says that women pray publicly, they prophesy publicly. Right? In, uh, in other parts of the Bible, it talks about their service. So women serve in many, many areas of the church, but they must respect the male headship. And I think that that's very clear from this passage. And from this passage also, it's not about headship to every male in, this, in the church, right? So wow, every woman must respect every male. No, I think it's the principle of male headship within the church. So I remember preaching at this church not very long ago and the song leading was led by ladies, a few ladies. And after I preached, a female uh, lady came up to, to do everything. She made announcements, she did the benediction, everything else. And then the church also had a female pastor. Now I think that goes against what this pastor is saying, isn't it? Because there is no male headship in this church at all. Any stranger walking into that church will recognize there is no male headship in this church. And I think that goes against what God is saying is the, is the role of male-female male relationships in the church. Now, the third thing I want to make, uh, that I, I'm convinced of anyway, is that this is very particular to relationships within God's church. Within Christian men and Christian women in God's assembly, God's church. Uh, this passage here, it says very clearly in verse 4, it's about praying and prophesying. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, sorry, chapter 2, it's also a similar passage about teaching. So it doesn't mean that in the secular outside world you can't have women CEOs. I think you can have women CEOs. Because this is very specific to a Christian context. So I think that's for women, right? The lesson for women. Now for men, headship is not about value but responsibility, accountability. So men must step up to serve. Where are the men serving? If you're just sitting on your bum, right, doing nothing, then you're not taking the responsibility as your role and function deserves. That what God wants you to do. Right? Because ultimately, it's not about your value, but your role in the church. You should be serving. You should be striving and sacrificing to serve. Now therefore, if you look at this passage... I was reminded once about speaking to this missionary who said about how, you know, one of the problems in missionary organizations is they have women who go out to serve in all these dangerous mission fields. And the mission organizer was saying, you know why that is? Because the men are not stepping up to serve. And they're not going out there to lead these women. And that's actually a terrible indictment of the lack of male headship in the church. So in conclusion, I like listening to 93.8, you know, talk radio, right? So, you know, uh, they always have a lot of snippets, right, in uh, 93.8, like Slice of Life, Market Minute, all that sort of stuff. And you just listen for one minute, all these short things, right, about how to improve your life, right? So there's one part about how negotiating skills or relationship skills. And it said that, you know, there are no wrong opinions, there are only different perspectives. I remember that part of the, the talk, or that one minute, minute, the Slice of Life, whatever. There are no wrong opinions, only different perspectives. I thought, well, actually, biblically, that's not right, isn't it? Because biblically, there are no different perspectives. There's only right, one right or wrong way. And Paul says that as Christian men and women, there is only one way. They're not different perspectives. And he's saying here that from creation, right, from God's order in the church, men, you should lead. You should be head. And women, you should respect that headship. And I know that 
in the culture we live in, in the times that we live in, that's very difficult for us. And something that we have to struggle with, especially for women. But I think that from you look, when you look at this passage, there is a challenge to both males and females, right? For men to, to lead in an appropriate way and for women to respect the, the males in an appropriate way. So I hope that uh, as you look at this passage and you struggle with it, you will really let God's word speak to you and to live as a Christian man and to live as a Christian woman. Now I'm going to do something special today because it's quite a difficult passage. So I'm going to allow you to ask a question or two. Anybody got any questions? Any questions? Or maybe you can ask me privately because you know if you feel it's embarrassing, whatever. Any questions? Okay, if not, um, I thought we'll close in prayer then. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we recognize that this passage really goes against a lot of what the world says. It goes against a lot of what naturally comes uh, to, our, to our mind. And therefore we really ask for your Holy Spirit to help us to come to your word, to examine it, to help us to obey it. Help us to see that you have made us, your people, men and women. And though the world has many bad examples of male and female behavior, but yet in the church, help us to be behaving rightly before you in our dress and our behavior. We pray for men and women in our church to, to display maleness and femaleness in everything that we do, especially in our dress at church. We pray that we will take our roles and functions seriously for the men that they will take headship seriously for the women that they will respect uh, the males their headship and dear father that uh, we will be shaped by your word in everything that we do and not by the world and we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ Amen